Hey everybody, we at Podgave Rock and Roll Do You want to make it clear that we don't mean any offense by our comments, critiques, or opinions. We're not music critics, just buddies that use talking about music as an excuse to hang out. Also, our language is intended for adult ears. Enjoy! Cause I'm in the shit house Wish I played in a rock and roll band Somebody give me a dollar I was just watching the new quarterback thing on Netflix with Mahomes and uh, Kirk Cousins and Mariota. Yeah. It's pretty good. I just I watched want, the first 20 minutes or so before I, I got on this. If you're a football fan, it's great. I wanted to be uh, watch that because it was I turned on Netflix. That was up first, but I was mm. trying to cram for Josh's wham questions. <laughs> no, no, wham I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm not going to ask any questions about wham. <laughs> I haven't watched that one yet. Cram, cram for wham. They basically just follow all three of them for a year and they kind of just, you know, so like the first third of the show is Mahomes yeah. up to the, for the first two weeks of the, of week one or huh. week one of the season. It's and then, pretty brilliant at this time of year. Late July, people are fiending you know, for, for some For sports fans, content. it's the worst time of the year. SB night is the worst day. <laughs> why do you think the ESPYs are on? The, the day after base MLB All-Star game, there's a reason why the ESPYs are on the next night every year because there's nothing. Well... I, w- I would argue it's the the last game of the NBA Finals that is sports purgatory. I guess, but there's August. still draft and free agency and all that yeah. stuff. So I get you know the summer, the yeah, summer hot sure. stove. Everyone gets all worked up about that. But anyway. but anyway, let's uh, let's move past. Yeah, this welcome sports back content to uh, W Fan. <laughs> the morning zoo in the morning talking NFL. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's talk a little music. I was flying back from a uh, vacation in Florida and I watched this Little Richard documentary on Apple, which is, uh, which Little Richard was the first episode we did of this, this podcast, uh, I don't know, 200 episodes ago or whatever. Wow. Uh, but it, that's, if you, if you are interested in like the beginnings of rock and roll and Little Richard and just really where rock and roll showmanship, really so much comes from him, basically just the outfits the dance, like the showmanship of, of lead singers, just pretty much everything you kind of trace back to him. And, you know, they go over some earlier examples. It's good. It's not great, but it's short, too. So it's it's worth a watch. And then I, I watched the Wham! documentary on Netflix <laughs> this weekend. I'm going to assume you guys have not seen the Little Richard doc, but I'm just going to ask about the Wham! doc. Have you, did y'all see that yet? I haven't seen I've it. I've seen, like, the first half. The first half. Ah. I was interested at how terrible their first couple rap songs were jesus man <laughs> i didn't even know oh they were God. rappers i know rap but songs? just that i was wow well, that time when everyone was just doing butter da 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 like everyone had that same cadence and then like the, the and then it goes to this hook that's like wham bam i am a man it's <laughs> like what the fuck was going no. on in the early 80s but you know, I, I honestly, my sister was obsessed with them. She was like 10, 11 when they were like at their peak. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember them just because they were so fucking big. And I, I kind of, watching it, if you would have asked me before, like, hey, what are the Wham songs? It would have been like, Wake You Up, Wait, or Wake Me Up Before You Go Go, and Careless Whisper, which Careless Whisper is a George Michael song. And, <laughs> but then they, they kind of go through it. And I, I could, I recognize probably, you know, 
seven of the songs that they played on there. Just had no idea that that was. So just without without getting into spoilers, it's just Wham. There's none of the, like the George Michael solo era in the film. Yeah, you get you, they go to the breakup. Actually, one of the more interesting parts of it was they started in high school. These two buddies, and then Careless Whisper was like one of their first demos. But and they always knew that this is the best song we've done. But then as they kind of got popular, they still had not recorded it. When they did, they like they agreed like, "Hey, you're becoming a superstar. Just this should be your first like solo release." And that's how they did it. But and, why didn't he stick hmm. with the guy? Why 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 wasn't he in the band? Like why couldn't why he, why did he, he have because to he leave? W- he just became so much bigger than the band by himself, and and he was writing mm-hmm. all the songs. He was George Michael. Like it was one of those things. Mm-hmm. And that other guy, you could tell, like you know, from the whole thing, was like pretty. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't as easy as they make it out in the documentary, but like mm. he seemed like a pretty good guy about it. Like, hey, you know, we made a bunch of they play. And I'm not going to compare Wham to Michael Jordan, but I kind of am. They had uh, <laughs> like a final show. They were like, all right, we're playing one final show in this huge stadium, and that and Wham is over. Like, we're ending at our peak, and we're not never going to play again together. And, and they didn't. Never I would say it's worth a watch. It could have been better, but. Uh, all right, one more thing I wanted to hit just music-wise. I did read this. I thought it was interesting. So I I just saw this headline that was like, Led Ze- 10% of Led Zeppelin's catalog is up for sale. And they were talking about how rare that is for like a classic rock catalog to be up for sale. Usually it's sold yeah. like, you know, Dylan sold his, Springsteen sold his, stuff like that. But when you're talking about a band, I kind of just read about it. It's like, okay, so obviously the band members have a, a portion of it. Um, the songwriters at least have, you know, uh, publishing, I think with Zeppelin, a lot you know, it's a lot of them are all writers. But and then the but this person is the manager's daughter, so the mm. manager had twenty percent of the of the catalog, and so the daughter is selling ten percent of the catalog, and mm. which is just kind of fascinating to me. Just like okay, you own this like IP of this classic rock band, and really kind of have nothing to do with anything about the songs. It's just like a stock at this point. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. That they've had a long time. I haven't heard of percentages like that. Like someone selling 10, maybe, maybe 50, but it's just, it's just so weird. Like, but it's still, I mean, if you could get it, I mean, it's an investment that is going to continue making like for a catalog, like Led Zeppelin, they're going to continue making money in perpetuity. You know, there's just certain investment. Old band, like you couldn't grab, say, you know, recent rock bands. Their catalogs aren't going to be worth that much. Like it's like the like classic rock is like the peak of rock. That's the stuff that's always going to kind of represent rock and roll. I think you know you're not going to get the White Stripes catalog isn't going to be worth. I mean, it'll be worth something because of Seven Nation Army, but it's not going to be like ten, fifteen songs like Zeppelin that that will continue being played. I would assume. There's some companies that offer. You know, big money for the even a even a ten percent share in in a, in a catalog like that. Like I was just talking with someone the other day about this company, Authentic Brands, and they own a chunk of El. It's just a corporation or a company that owns like a big portion of uh, Elvis's catalog. I'm trying to remember the other artists, but they have a bunch of just classic artists, and they just buy up a bunch of their their catalogs. And they also have like partnerships with like I think David Beckham and Shaq and some athletes. But anyways, but yeah, it's like there's some money to be made if you've been sitting on that for 
40 years, yeah, 30 I mean, years, however long. Yeah, I, I read something else that was like it, the portion of new music that was streamed last year was like 18% of all streams. It's like, so people still just go back to what they, you know, if you look at rock and roll, it's like probably like 95% of the streams are classic rock right. bands that are, yep. that, that some, some would say, unfortunately, are close to the grave or already there. Uh, <laughs> that's that's my Spotify for sure. Yeah. <laughs> what your your Spotify is a giant funeral? Is that what you're saying, Neil? <laughs> I guess Bang. so. Josh. Segway. <laughs> <laughs> and and on that note, uh, you were listening to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you, and this week we are talking about close to the grave because this week we are talking about the band of horses, specifically their song "The Funeral." from their 2006 album, Everything All the Time, written by Ben Bridwell, Matt Brook, Chris Early, Tim Minig, and produced by Phil Eck and Band of Horses, and released on Sub Pop and Kids Records. I heard about this band from a friend from high school. I had just gotten out of college when this when this album came out, and I uh, was big into like My Morning Jacket and Kings Leon, so it kind of made sense that this would be a band that I would enjoy. But I bought the first album like soon after the release. Uh, I probably you know listening to it today, I probably enjoy listening to Monsters and Our Swords a little more than this song. Uh, but this is it's unquestionably the best song on the album. I love this band's first two records. I think. The second, I could argue, is like a flawless mm -hmm. album, but that's for another time. Um, this song in particular is just such an epic, emotional, uplifting without trying to be kind of a difference between the music, what's going on musically and what's going on lyrically in the song. But the movement is what really kind of guides you through it's what really catches me every time i listen to it like just the quiet the loud it really has a way to like guide your emotions and it's also like another song that you could argue the chorus is like my least favorite part of the song but just in general i love hearing it and anytime it comes on and just a quick aside i the first time i saw them live i don't know if it was right after this album it might have been after the second one but they play this song i think it was like to end the first set and or to end the set, and they just fucked up. Like, fucked up to, like, it wasn't a sound fuck up. It was they fucked up and had to stop the song to regroup right before the climax. And then they just skipped, like, the ne next couple seconds and just came in at the... Because you know, I think that's the only time I've ever seen a, like, legit professional band stop uh, playing a song because they fucked up. Yeah. Just abort. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming from a very, very different perspective than you, man. Like, I am not familiar with this band at all other than this song. <laughs> no joke. Like, I oh, never, really? wow, I've wow. never seen them live. I've you never bought them out, that's do. for sure. I mean, I love this song. I did a little research when I found out this was the song we were going to be talking about, so I learned a bit more about the band. But completely, <laughs> like, blank slate over here on this one. For me, it's just, like, nice. it's just the song, and it's a great song. To me, they're kind of in the one-hit wonder territory. I hate to throw it out there because I don't know any other song Ooh, by them. Easy, I, but <laughs> I don't think that's unfair. I mean, that because this was a song that people know. In terms of like, in terms of how huge this song is, and how I don't know what their second most popular song is, and it, whatever it is, it's not mm -hmm. as close to mm -hmm. as popular as this song. 
it's not a fair, maybe that's not a fair term to use, but like for me, that's kind of where my mind wandered a bit. But it's an incredible song. I mean, in terms of like what makes like a timeless song, it's like that interplay between uh, a great riff and fantastic vocals. And this is like a perfect example of how of, of that. So you heard this song when it came out. This isn't something that you like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was hard not to okay. hear this song. It was everywhere. I looked, I mean, it was, I sent you the clip from the HBO Road to the Winter Classic. Yeah. It was on that. It was on uh, How I Met Your Mother. I mean, it was, it was in a lot of places. Um, and it be, rightfully so, it's, it's a great song. I remember seeing it on a bunch of trailers. Like, I, I can't, like, recall, like, the TV shows and movies, but I do remember seeing it on trailers, and it worked very good in, like, a trailer Oh, it format. works great, especially those, that emotional that emotional buildup. Yeah. It's, it's time. It, hey, I'd say it's timeless. It's classic. It's, it's a great song. Yeah. Yeah, I, really, I love Band Horses. I must be in my own little echo chamber. I think they're so good that I'm like, I assume that everyone knows every album and loves them. Um <laughs> Because, God, they have some killer songs. I mean, it, it, it's all in the same vein. I mean, but they really deliver. There's there's always at least a handful of songs on every album that I just uh, can't live without. But, um, Josh, I'm surprised you picked this one. Um, there's so many other good ones. I mean, it, it is their kind of their hit, the song that most people would know. But I almost look at it as kind of like MMJ's off the record. It's kind of like, okay, I've heard it so many times, and they have so many good songs in my opinion. But all that said, it's fucking gorgeous. It's poetic. It's it rocks. It's got a very lullaby quality. It's kind of like angelic, and then it goes into a sonic boom, like Josh, like you were saying, just like the different nature of the different parts of the song. It's so soft and so rocking. And it's funny. It's really, uh, I started playing the chords. When you play these chords, you feel like no other melody could exist over that chord structure. Because it just, it's so fucking perfect. It's true. Um, it's true. You know, it's its almost like that Santana quote where he's like, the music is there. I just pull it out of the stars, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just Band of Horses in general, they make me so happy. I mean, they mix... Um, just really good songs, really good melodies, and uh, Ben's voice is just something else, man. Yeah, just real quick, just to address the one-hit wonder quality, I will say, so Spotify streaming, for what it's worth, this song is like almost 400 million. Their next song is called No One's Gonna Love You, which is like kind of a ballad, great song. It's at 90, and then like the next one's like down to like 20. So, yes, I mean, like this is by far the most most well-known song. So let, let me just ask you guys a question. What do you take from this song? Because it's interesting, there's there's multiple parts, but like when you walk away from the song, what is it that you remember or that kind of sticks with you, you know, for a couple minutes afterwards? What Which specific part? I think for me, it's just the, you know, I could hum it to myself. I could still be humming it to myself five minutes after I've just listened to it. You know, it's that, it like it, it you know, latches into you that way. It's just such a gorgeous vocals the guitar obviously lit up but then also just the the build-up there's that yeah. build-up as the song goes on which i i love i you know everyone loves that sort of that crescendo that that you know is coming which i'm sure yeah. which you know what and i gotta say that's gotta be a sick song live i would imagine just in terms of the, oh, yeah. the build-up for for sure i mean because you know for me 
personally, it's it's either they start off with that. I think Neil, that you call it a lullaby. That that riff is very mm-hmm. going to sleep. Do 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 do. And then the other thing that sticks with, like, I think that's probably the bones of the song. But then the other yeah. thing that sticks to me is that the the only lyric that really stands out, other than the funeral, is the I'm coming up only like that is what I like when I walk away from the song I'll just occasionally go coming up only like that's <laughs> yeah. the part that I'm kind of yeah doing I would say before um I dug into for this podcast it was that beginning just the guitar and mm. even the kind of where he the kind of like howling the um I don't know what you'd call it but just the instrumental not instrumental but the vocal of just the howling but after after listening to it and digesting the lyrics, there's some really cool shit in there. Like the, kind of the end of every verse is very profound, I think. And now that is going to stick. And the other part I would say, and okay, so, all right. So there's basically three distinct parts. You have kind of the slow, you know, coming up only and with just kind of over the, the riff and then the, ooh, and then boom, the, it's really too late to, Call so, and mm-hmm. then you have the chorus where now out of those three parts, which one stands out the most to you, Neil? No, the part that sticks with me is in the second verse where they come in heavy in the middle of it instead of waiting for the chorus. You know what I mean? Would they do that in the first one as well? No, because it's like to know you hard, we wonder. That's still slow to know you hard. We wonder, and the second time, I, I don't know. Oh, you're right. It's it's just earlier, I guess, to the outside. He comes in earlier on the. Yeah, the it's outside. it's when they do it unexpected in the middle of the verse. It's just, they just come in heavy right there. That's that's the one of the best parts, I think. Tao, out of those like three like changes, which one kind of sticks out, or do you? Enjoy yeah, the I most? think it's the first the first verse the the vote when the vocals kick in for the first time because I think the riff obviously is catchy as hell and then then the vocals yeah and then the vocals kick in and he's, he's i don't even know his, his name the singer exactly or i can't remember it at ben the moment Bridwell. But I, right but he, he gorgeous voice and i think you know the lyrics are definitely interesting when he starts that that first verse trying to figure out it, is it, is it as somber as the the music sounds you know what's this about well, if we want to jump into the lyrics, funny because y'all, y'all both have kind of touched on the lyric, mm. and I, I would say the lyric to me is almost irrelevant, mm. and I don't <laughs> really care about what he's saying at all because his voice is kind of an, another instrument that just kind of blends in with the movement and the vibe of the song. You know, like he says it's about how you know he was very cynical at the time and just basically was writing a song about oh god i got to go to this party oh god we got to get together for christmas oh shit so new weird. years we got to have a big party and so he's just comparing all this stuff mm. to a funeral like he feels like he's having to go to a funeral whenever something like this happens um, it's so weird if that is the case he's so spiteful he's just like i'm coming up to fucking drown you invite me to this party fucking <laughs> asshole um I- it, but it's funny because like everyone feels that way. Like you know, sometimes you're like super anxious to go somewhere. You end up going, and whether you have a great time or not, usually you end up making some good memories. I think everyone sure. kind of feels that, but it's weird to be that spiteful. Like I fucking hate Christmas parties. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> but that doesn't come across to me at all. Like I, no, I, I, I feel I like hear that, the I, lyric, and I'm I just feel like, like that was an offhanded comment that maybe got spun out of control. I, I, I just, I don't even believe it, really. I, everything the, the lyric to me is basically blah blah blah. I'm coming up only blah blah blah. The funeral, it, it, like <laughs> so. It's really just about the melody and the music. You don't like those, but to know me as hardly golden is to know me all wrong. They were like I, there's some fun kind of lyrics there, but as like a whole, it it's not something like when I read it, I'm not like you know I'm coming up only to hold you under. I'm coming up to show you wrong and to know you is hard. We wondered to know you all wrong. We want like putting it together. I'm not like, Oh my God, that's insanely profound. I'm just like, Oh, that sounds kind of cool, but yeah. it really sounds cool with you singing it over this melody and think, with this music going on. For me, it's a mix of what he's saying. And then just like the way it tags the hardly golden, hardly golden is to know me all wrong. They were like, it's kind of, it's just a cool with that, with the melody. It's a, I think it's really, really nice. For sure. I'm coming up only to hold you under. That's what's very interesting about the song, in my opinion, is that because it's like, I guess people don't put up their big lighters in the air anymore at concerts, but like this is a song they would, you know, I could, this is a song that the whole crowd is going to like celebrate and put, get their big lighter up. Oh. And it's like very anthemic. It has like totally anthemic quality, but lyrically the energy is like, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I totally I mean, agree. I, th- I think for me, that's one of the, the, the best parts of the song is that the music is very uplifting in a way right. while the yeah. lyric is not at all. Mm-hmm. There's a misdirection there. That's yeah. that's I always enjoy when when bands do that. Yeah, because people are like, "Fuck yeah, funeral." <laughs> <laughs> the, the but I will I would say that the phone is now the lighter. Tally. Right, they're right, holding up their yeah. phone light. Right, exactly. <laughs> they're videoing instead of <laughs> instead of burning, <laughs> instead of the, causing a fire the, hazard. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I I love just the way that it's not too complicated. They're just you know when they get into the jam, it's just everyone's just sixteenth notes just. Dig in, boys. Let's let's get after it. That's why I think the melody is the best part of the song because, like you said earlier, Neil, it's like there's no other melody that could really exist over this chord progression, which it's a very simple chord progression. Yeah. I mean, they repeat the same thing over and over in the verse, and then when it goes to every occasion, it just kind of reverses the three major chords. Um, and it's so pretty that even like when they break down, nobody does really anything... Any, it's just John, 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 yeah. John, John, like sixteen notes, like you said, but it still sounds great and still picks you up. They're not really doing anything complex no, at all. There's no, there's no guitar solo. I mean, it's just all kind of emotion and how how much emotion can you put into ba 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 ba. How much how much emotion can you put into the funeral? Um, the, <laughs> the we, we should say since we're talking about the music that the singer and guitar player is Ben Bridwell, the other guitar player is Matt Brooke. The bass guitar is Chris Early, and they have two people on the drums, I guess. Tim Minig and Sarah Cajon, and, which is crazy because simple melody, very simple instrumentation, and it there's, sounds like a lot more is going on than there is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just big. The production's great. It sounds like there's a lot of people in the band. Like you're kind of listening. Like this could be three people. This could be six people in this band. I'm not quite <laughs> sure because it's a big sound. But like you say, in a lot of ways, artist. You know, 
in a lot of ways it's it's very simple but but there's yeah. a depth to the sound that you're not quite sure yeah. how many people are yeah. even playing it I mean, a lot of it is just Ben. He's so fucking good. Like him and those melodies and just kind of the way he can, he's so unique. The music a lot of times is very just like kind of indie rock. And then you put, him, you put him over top and it's all of a sudden it's fucking brilliant. Wait, that's what I was, I was, I was talking to my girlfriend today. I was like, what, what does, who does he sound like? And then I'm like, Perry Farrell, maybe like that's the only person Ooh, I could uh, really think of. Uh, kind of the the the, the I mean, register. Yeah, the, the register. register is there, but like it's a unique voice. Like he kind of walks the line of like emo without going all the way there. And there obviously is a lot of effects. He's almost singing in like a false falsetto. You know, like I I don't believe he's singing a falsetto, but it kind of sounds like. It. Yeah, and he gets real intense. He growls a lot in that falsetto, you know? It's just like, every occasion. Well, he and he also sings at a point that it fe- like you're almost rooting for him, like, oh, shit, it's going to crack. It's going to crack. And it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's so funny. Every time I listen to him, I can just picture him with, like, that just a one-eye cranked, like, ah. Like, just he has such a unique look, too. Very difficult songs to sing. The, their mm-hmm. stuff is because of his voice and because of his, his his register. It's very hard to sing these songs anywhere approaching how he does it. Yeah. I got to be honest. Part of this feels like I I've showed up to you know and I've like done some of the homework but haven't completed the assignment. <laughs> Which is a feeling I'm very familiar with, if you know anything about me in high school. So uh, it's just it, that, that whole, we've got memories coming back in a major way, guys. <laughs> listen, if you guys have any recommendations, I'll, you know, I'll be more than happy oh, yeah. to listen to more. I would just horses. go through the catalog. It's just, it's just a band I never kind of did a deep dive into. You know, you guys know me. You I mean, should. I listen to no, plenty no, of other like... random stuff. And this is just a band that I never quite, you know, followed through with. I couldn't more highly recommend it. Yeah, mm. I would say their sec- listen listen to their second album. My favorite mm-hmm. song by them is a song called "Ode to the LRC." Like that's the one I would have picked for this, but n- nobody knows that song. It would not be as accessible as this, so <laughs> that's why I picked this song. But it's the first song on their second album. It's fucking fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but, that's a fantastic. Are one. they good live? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. I saw them last year, uh, last summer at the Palladium in Hollywood. It was really cool. It was, Very cool. It was one of those things where my wife's a big fan too. And awesome. I found out they were playing and there was tickets available. And it was just kind of like on the last minute, like called my wife and was like, the band of horses are playing down the street. Should we go? And she's like, yeah, we kind of have to like, it was, it's yeah. kind of like not a question. <laughs> if they're playing yeah. down the street, I'm going. And, and I would, I want to say just one, two more things about the vocal. The other thing is like when you hear the ooze and, and, and one thing about, you know, on top of that, seeing them live, they harmonize very well together. Like the guys who sing mm-hmm. behind him, like, and you can tell in the ooze, that's like old country, like Jordan air level, like the, the, the backup singers on like the Elvis records and stuff like that. They sound so fucking yeah, good. Yeah. Like the yeah. ooze are just so fucking beautiful. And you're like, oh shit, this band can do that. And I always love when bands can do that. Cause when you can throw in like some crazy harmonies in, in, in a live setting and sound on point, it's, it's great. But yeah, I yeah. do want to say I understand why somebody wouldn't like this band because his voice sure. is unique and it's probably somewhat of an acquired taste. 
Well, and especially if you don't, if you don't have anything tied to them, like Josh, we've been listening for years. My, my wife's a fan, but if you just heard a couple songs, you could be like, yeah, that's kind of annoying. But well, and depending on when you hear these songs, because Tal Neil says their whole catalog, but let me just, let me just, maybe not the, the let's end, just yeah. say, look, look, their first two albums are amazing. Their third album, pretty good. Their fourth album came out. This was when G-Chat was a thing. I G-Chatted Neil at work, and I was like, yo, you hear this new Band of Horses album? And he was like, yeah, I wasn't really going to say anything. And I was like, talk... Because we were talking about something, and you mentioned mailing it in, and I was like, talk about mailing it in. Because it is Uh. garbage. I don't mind their last album, their last couple albums. Like, there's a song or two I like, but their fourth album was just like, I cannot believe this band fucking... Was that in 2016? I think I it might have been. I, re- I was reading an article today where he was talking about recording that album and how uh, he had four kids. He has four daughters, I guess. Oh, Jesus. Wow. So that was the first time he had four daughters while trying to record an album. So <laughs> maybe. <laughs> all right. All right. So he was basically like, look, let's just let's just forget that one happened. I'll cut him oh. some slack on that one. I mean, it's funny because I was, but I was thinking about it when, when I started doing some research. I think, how, why did I, you know, I've done deep dives on all kinds of different groups and all different genres. Why did I never really like follow up with the, with Band of Horses? And I did a little research and this is my theory that the same year this thing, this, the same year, 2006, that this song came out, one of the biggest hits of that year was You're Beautiful by James Blunt which is another high-pitched, kind of whiny <laughs> singer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Again, that falsetto-ish upper register. And I do wonder okay. if James Blunt may have ruined it a little bit for Band of Horses that year. Because there were some people who lumped them together and said, eh. That's I like all I that got. Theory. That's my theory, yeah. My, yeah. my conspiracy theory. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Well, real quick before we get to the to the fun parts, the we'll touch on the production because I do think the production is a huge part of why the song is is so good. Yeah, and and yeah. you know the producer is as I mentioned earlier is Phil Eck, who basically kind of came onto the scene with like I guess Built to Spill's uh, first like breakthrough record, and which I don't really know Built to Spill that well. Do you guys? No. Yes. They're good. I saw them right before the pandemic at the Troubadour. It was amazing. Nice. Oh, yeah, that's right. You do know them. Um, but they, they also, because these guys are from South Carolina, Band of Horses, but they were living in Seattle. So this was recorded on Sub Pop, which is like the big grunge label up there. And so these, you know, mm-hmm. Eck had worked with like Modest Mouse and Fleet Foxes and pretty much any music like this at that time. It's, he, had a, he had a part in it. So and, and so I think like just going to what we were talking about earlier they really do a lot with a little and his voice helps like if you like his voice but like they're yeah. just doing a lot with a little and really picking their spots on when to go there's so many different points where the song breaks and then moves somewhere else which you you know you don't find that in a lot of songs executed as well as it is in this one yep yep agreed i mean yeah just the production and the heavy parts it's really thick like if you have headphones in it really hits this song is like a perfect example of how to manipulate emotions 
just mm-hmm. via movement in the song and wh- where to pick up and when to stop and when to like slow down and when to be quiet and stuff like that. And that's that that I think that and the melody are probably the reason this song is is, is much better Agreed. than. Uh, I will say a couple of fun facts. Pitchfork had this as the 67th best song of the 2000s. Which... <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> And this song appeared on their first LP under the title Billion Day Funeral. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think they made a good decision by changing it to The Funeral. Did you watch the music video for this song? Which is weird to say for a song in the 2000s. I feel like I don't think about the music video. did not. In any songs that came out after like... It didn't come up really anywhere at least not very high on my google search like there were i would the first video links i saw were just for you know the the album cover with the song on it you know it doesn't seem i'm not sure how mm-hmm. widely viewed the, <laughs> the music video is so note at the top of the search that video that shows up with the album cover that is the video once you press play it's the video but it looks mm. like it's just going to be the song over the album cover I don't want to say we're like on a track of doing the same songs, but it's, you know, this song has a lot of the emotional cues. It's similar emotional feeling as, as the Cure song we talked about last week. But in terms of a video, I really like this video. It is shot like a grainy 19, late 60s, early 70s, sepia tone, black and white, some British dude getting plastered in a bar after work, like this old British dude, and then gets in his car and drives into a like, produce truck. At the end of the song, I would. It's a very fascinating video in that it goes straight to the lyric and not has nothing to do with the music at all. But it's very well. It's very artistically done. It makes you think of like those old, like in New York where they're like up above the guy, you know, on the street, and it's like John has something to Mm -hmm. do, and then it like cuts and it's weird and it's all brown and. You know, you imagine there's some yellow in there. Uh, <laughs> it's but, weird and all brown and yellow. Um, but anyway, uh, let's move away from brown and yellow and uh, and get to the vibe time. So, Tal, we're going to ask you uh, once again to bring us into the vibe time portion of this uh, podcast uh, in three, two, one. Oof. All right. Sorry. I, I, I got this there, because there's such a spectrum of like emotions in this song. It goes so low and so triumphant. It's like Oof. it's so much about like the build. Like, you, you, this is a perfect song for running. If you need a song to listen to while you're going for a run, this is going to get you there, baby. But uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's going to get you there, off baby. Off the reservation. Like... Vibe time is. Uh, yeah. Vibe time is like. Ooh. That's that's that, great. That's the feeling. Okay. That's the feeling. Since it's my song, I'll start us off. I, I specifically want to hear this song at my wedding. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> at your funeral, um, perhaps. Coming I, up only. I was thinking about it. I was like, I, I think this would be a good song to hear after you get some bad news. Like, just walk outside, put this song on in the background as you're processing something that you just heard that sucks. I just feel like it would pair like a fine wine with that situation <laughs> emotionally speaking um neil what about you when specifically would you want to hear the funeral well tau mentioned it uh i had a run i would have yeah. been great to be great to put on like a marathon mix because uh, when you're on a run like just the even that beginning part will get you kind of pumped up because it's so kind yeah. of just 
and beautiful. And then when it kicks in, you can really uh, get your sprint on there. The pace, and the pace, but the pace of the song, it, it, it gets lighter and heavier, but the pace of the song doesn't really change that much. So you can keep a good pace to yeah. it as well. Mm -hmm. That's true. And your energy levels just change with, with mm -hmm. it, you mm -hmm. know? Oh, that's hilarious. So, so Tal, is that what you're going to stick with as well for vibing? But yeah, no, <laughs> it's perfect for going for a run. Absolutely. All right, dig it. So I, it's hard to segue, but you know what's good after a run is uh, a brewski. So why don't we slide under the influence uh, with a beer or two and talk about the influences of this song. Neil, why don't you get us started with this? What do you think this song sounds mm -hmm. like came from influence after something? Well, yeah, I mean, you talked about a couple of them. Are, did you say they're on the same label, Fleet Foxes and Built to Spill? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had them. I did not know that. Um, just contemporaries that sound very similar. And then just something that it's, it reminds me of Neil Young a lot just because of the beautiful kind of delicate nature of his high voice. And just in general, I think this song, maybe a little Elliot Smith as well in there. Ah, Elliot Smith. Tal, what about you? What, 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 what do you think of when you hear this song? Yeah, I found it interesting that they were signed to Sub Pop, actually, because I felt like that's, yeah. a that's a label that is obviously synonymous with a specific sound. Absolutely. And it kind of fit that sound. And it had that sort of, you know, I hate, I hate calling it grunge, whatever you want to call that era. But that, you know, a little kind of like a, a Alice in Chains, you know, uh, Screaming Trees, that's just like the comp, energy yeah. behind it, mm -hmm. like hard, but very uh, emotional and you know melodic as well that's a great point that like because a lot of times you get grunge like evolved into like stained and fucking and puddles of mud and shit like that <laughs> and creed but this is like the good kind of evolution of grunge like like i said you know he kind of his voice kind of sounds like perry farrell but it's also you know they 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 dip their toes into alt country a little bit i think wilco just from a songwriter perspective is something that these guys remind me of and then just moving forward, I'd say the Fruit Bats are kind of like that. But yeah, anything that Fleet Foxes, anything like that is kind of has a similar sound. I don't know how much it was influenced by these guys, but it, because it's hard to tell. Because like you said, Tal, like you've heard one song. Like I was obsessed with their first two records. So I have no idea how much, how many people have heard, you know, this band. And it's not like they ever got to a point where they were selling out like crowds and stuff. They were like opening up for My Want a Jacket. You know, so I don't, I don't really know how big this band ever got. Um, but there's a twang to it. You can still hear a bit of a twang, even in the one song. Like I could see oh, them yeah. having like a bit of a Southern, like you mentioned, Wilco. I could I could see them having a sound like that in a lot of their other music. Well, he's from South Carolina. Right. So, yeah. Right, exactly. I was just realizing how much um, just you've influenced my influence or my love of Band of Horses. You know what I mean? <laughs> By you saying you're obsessed with the first two records, I'm like, oh, that's why I like them so much. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely like moved out here and met you. He was like, dude, this fucking band, man. And that was before the fourth album, obviously. But uh, oh man, <laughs> don't don't hate on them for that. It's okay. Let's put the second album on. You know, no one's gonna love you, Detlef Shrimp. Oh, oh, that's a great song, Tal, and Detlef with a great Shrimp name. Is the name they of have it? A, it mm -hmm. is a complete mm -hmm. ballad, but it's called Detlef That's Shrimp. That's a beautiful, great beautiful basketball song. player great. from Seattle. From Seattle, I met exactly, exactly. Well, let's uh, let's take Detlef Shrimp uh, under the covers and see what what we can find. So, Tal, did you hear any covers of this song? 
I mean, I think we all know, well, we all know about how it was sampled by Kid Cudi like two years after the song came out, which I found that so fascinating because, you know, usually someone, a song gets sampled like that. It's like at least a decade after it's come out, probably. Yeah. And this would, yeah. this, and then it's the same energy, like I find it has the same energy. It's not a, it's not technically a cover, but I think that's just a song that I was immediately drawn to. It's like a reinterpretation in a way, because the energy behind that song I found very similar, at least lyrically you know, to uh, to the funeral. It almost sounds like he just took the, he just looped the riff, basically. There's some drum stuff in there, but he's not really rapping or singing. He's kind of preaching over the riff. And then he <laughs> mentions a, fu uh, a funeral, which was, I thought, a very creative kind of way to use the, the song. Neil, what about you? Did you uh, hear anything? Oh, I tried. I tried. I just have written down Fox so many bad covers. <laughs> I, I couldn't find any covers. Like I, no, I mean, well, I mean, I went to my YouTube and was just trying to find a diamond in the rough, and uh, I I came up short. <laughs> <laughs> I found one more sample, which was uh, by uh, the Grouch, and he did a song called "Coming Up." So basically, he does mm -hmm. the the uh, like a distorted riff where he's mm -hmm. like like that kind of common. Educate like common educational rap is what I call it. You know, he's kind of educational rapping over the it. Grouch or is it Oscar the Grouch? <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> okay, he said he said educational. I was like, is this PBS? <laughs> no, uh, it's like that common style of rapping. Like, light is the thing that you know, like be positive all thing. of the time. Two plus um, two equals four. You know. Oh the, my God, Josh, <laughs> just spitting knowledge. Wow. But. But, Josh Bond, <laughs> rapper, ladies and gentlemen. That was impressive. Uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, and, uh, but there also is an acoustic version of them doing this where he plays it on piano, and it's just very, very pretty. Oh, yeah, um, and, and you realize how percussive the song is as well, especially when he plays it on piano. He's just fucking bum, 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 mm -hmm. banging. Yeah, so that's it for covers. So why don't we talk about shoes? This is my song, so, I mean, I think this is pretty... Obviously, a black dress shoe with like some mud in the threads from the cemetery lawn is is what I'm gonna. Oh my god! Is what I'm gonna wow. do. Wow! <laughs> Tal, what about what about you? What, how does the how does it fit for the? Uh, uh, I again, funeral? I mentioned like a, a river <laughs> in my previous <laughs> uh, vibe time. Spiel. So we're going barefoot. But like it was, it's like a Timberland boot, you know. Again, some mud, some some water, a stream, perhaps. It's that kind of feeling for me. Mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I don't know, man. At that point, you just got to take them off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna Neil. I'm gonna flip the script and go super clean white shoes because it's so oh. angelic. Because you're going to heaven. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Are you in the casket at the funeral? <laughs> I'm neither. I'm just wearing some dope white shoes. <laughs> You're in purgatory. Of course you are. Um, oh, God. All right. <laughs> well, on that note. Actually, could I add one thing really quickly? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry. It's just something that came up when I was doing a little homework. And, you know, for me, like, so I, this is something I brought up a lot when we were talking about The Cure in the previous episode about, like, for me, a song, especially a song that's a little bit older, it's like, for me, a lot of the the way I look at the song is like contextual to what's going on at that time, musically, in popular culture, 
you know, in terms of the musical trends. And the one thing I did notice, and I, I bring it up, I wasn't sure I was going to bring it up, but you did mention Fleet Foxes earlier, Josh. And I did yep. notice that there was this bizarre trend around this time, like the mid aughts, 2000s, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. The number of uh, animal-inspired band names in rock at this, in this moment <laughs> in history is unusually high. So I'm, I made a little list. I'm just, there's Band of Horses. Ah, I love it. Arctic Monkeys, B- Modest ah. Mouse, Gorillas. Oh, yeah. Imagine Dragons or Dragons Animals. I don't know. Cage yeah, the Elephant, hear, hey, Wolf we'll Mother, Fleet Foxes, Grizzly Bear. Like, there's a lot. There's, a, you know. Holy shit. Yeah, that's a good just call. just something I had to throw mm-hmm. in there that this was a bizarre trend I felt I may have. Ah found and just looking at band of horses yeah yeah it and makes what, perfect sense that, they're that's good names it. too that, that's it that's a uh, a great observation i just want to say wolf mother that's that star shone so bright for me and then <laughs> we can really... one hit wonder i think are you a fan of theirs as well <laughs> no i was not but i did see him last summer at uh um just like heaven out of the rose bowl it, they, it was pretty good it, they they looked very old i knew one song but they were they were committed. They were pot committed. They were all in. I loved it. Great. It was like a daytime. Me and a buddy of mine in Mississippi were such fans of that that one album they came out with, and we went to see them in a small bar in Memphis. It was fucking awesome. Nice. And then we got pulled over on the highway afterwards, and I had so much weed that I threw into the like <laughs> grass on the side of the highway as we got pulled over. And literally, the cop comes over. I was so drunk. He shone in his light where I threw the weed. There was a Dr. Pepper bottle there that had already been there, and he it just looked like trash, and he just went to my face. He's like, oh, you've been drinking. I was like, yep. <laughs> but sure. anyway. I'm so glad I brought up that list now just to hear that story. Wow, okay. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm pretty sure That's we good. were at a strip club in between getting pulled over in the, in the show as well. Memphis, baby. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Tao. I think that might have been the best nugget of the pod there. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. That, that's where my brain goes. In the, goes in the credits. <laughs> Bands with animal names. Uh, come for the cover, stay for the nuggets. Uh, and on that note, <laughs> our cover of Band of Horses, The Funeral. Coming up only to hold you under And coming up only to show you wrong And to know you is hard we wonder To know you
used to know me all wrong They warned At every occasion I'll be ready for the funeral And every occasion once more is called the funeral The cover you just heard was performed by Josh Bond. Thanks for listening to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate on Apple, iTunes, and Spotify or wherever you listen. If you'd like to communicate with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram under the handle at Pod Gave Rock. Next week is Tal's week, so Tal, what will we be discussing? One of my all-time favorites, Hunger Strike by Temple of the Dog. Damn wait! <laughs>